This is the Stoppage Time Podcast from WEGL 91.1, giving you the latest on all the big talking points from the Premier League and the Champions League. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the first Stoppage Time episode of the 2020-2021 season. I'm your host, David Ordway, and as always, I'm joined by Mr. Chris Basinger. How are we doing today, Chris? Champions of England. Yeah, it's been a nice few months off here. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm also joined by uh, Harrison. How are you doing today, Harrison? I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Anytime. So, last weekend, this past weekend, was the first week of the new season of COVID soccer with no fans in it. But there was a lot of really great games. Newcastle beat West Ham United 2 to nothing. Cullen Wilson, the new Cullen Wilson signing by Newcastle. Uh, from Bournemouth, scored in the 56th, and Jeff Hendricks scored in the 87th. After that was Leeds United versus Liverpool. The 4-3 game, it was a really, really great game to watch. Uh, Salah scored a pen in the fourth minute. Then Jack Harrison scored for Leeds. Uh, Van Dyke then scored for Liverpool. Patrick Banford then scored uh, for Leeds. Mohamed Salah then scored an absolute clinical finish uh, in the 33rd minute. Um and then Matus Click scored in the 66th. And then finally, uh, Mo Salah scored another penalty uh, in the 88th minute, which was just a, a really tough way to end the game. But uh, I know I know, Mr. Champions of England over here has something to say about his Liverpool team. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it was a tough game, to be sure. Um, difficult in the sense that uh, Leeds gave up uh, a really good fight in that game. Uh, Liverpool, however, did have an XG of 3.15 compared to Leeds's abysmal 0.27. So I think uh, most of the problems that Liverpool faced in this game uh, from a goal perspective were very much self-inflicted. Uh, Van Dijk, Gomez, uh, Gomez and Trent mostly um, failing to cover the runs in behind uh, on the right side of the field and then Van Dijk having to make up. And eventually, I'm not exactly sure what happened between him and Allison for the second goal. Uh, it seems like he was just being a little bit too cheeky trying to clear the ball, but um, ended up just handing it off um, to Bamford to score. Um, but one of the interesting things about this game, and it's something that you're not going to see much this season, if at all, in any other games, is um, the passes per defensive action in this game. Liverpool usually has a very, very low uh, PPDA just based off the gig and pressing and trying to win the ball back. But um, in this one, Liverpool had a 9.94 PPDA, whereas Leeds actually had an even lower PPDA at 9.33, which just goes to show how effective Bielsa's counter-pressing style can be, even against um, probably the top side in Europe who knows how to do it. Uh, so I thought that was really just like, just a testament to how good his team is just out of coming out of the championship. I will I will I will say Chris congratulations on winning the league. Seriously, uh it's a feat that I will never probably see in my lifetime. <laughs> um but we'll get to that later, but that seriously seriously, seriously congr- congratulations on winning the league for the first time. Uh wanted to make sure I said that on on the podcast. On the podcast. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. Anytime, anytime. Uh-huh. I, I actually uh Harrison will attest to this. I we us rooting for Leeds as well, but we actually really thought Leeds had a shot at it. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, a lot of Liverpool's wounds were self-inflicted. 
But I think it's going to be a struggle for a lot of teams in this league to adapt to the way Leeds play. That's why I think Liverpool had an element of casualness to them. But I think Leeds just brings such an intensity and such energy and a lot of movement that you have to constantly follow that it's just uh, it's going to be a difficult game for anybody that plays them throughout the season. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it, and it's always a difficult test going up against the champions of Europe, uh, of England and Liverpool, um, <laughs> not really losing any of their players other than Dijon Lovren. Um but he's not a huge loss. Um, <laughs> hey, wait, wait a second. He was the self-proclaimed greatest defender uh, in the world in 2018 after making it to the Champions League final and the World Cup final. Oh, and I, I, I don't know what oh, you're know. talking about. I know, I know. <laughs> but, uh, but Liverpool is going to be good, and especially if they bring in um, Thiago, which seems to be – nobody really knows what's going on with that. It seems like the interest is there, but the money – to spend thirty million on a you know there, a person that just won the treble for for Bayern Munich and who is an outstanding player though he is thirty years old, um, but your career does not end when you turn thirty. You know you look at these players like Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi who, yes I know we're talking about the two greatest players of all time, but you know your your careers don't end just when you turn thirty. Yeah, um, there's a lot of speculation around that transfer, of course, but you have to look at all the players that Liverpool have. Um, in the reserves, like there were, there were many players who you might be surprised didn't even make it onto the bench for this game. Jordan Shakiri did not make it onto the bench for this game. Alex Oxley Chamberlain did not make it onto the bench this game. Liverpool is not at a lack of creative midfield players that they can bring in. Naby Keita, uh has taken a while to grow into it, but I think this season he's really going to come into form and uh, give a lot of that. Um, uh, attacking prowess that we saw of him at Red Bull, but he he's really going to be able to dribble in, uh, take charge at the back line. Uh, whereas Henderson, Wijnaldum, and Fabinho are going to be more so passing. Navigator is going to be more so dribbling. Same with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who's able to go through uh, and really assist uh, the front three, especially when we go into uh, the four-two-three-one formation. So I I don't see the Tiago trade happening just because. Also, Curtis Jones. Uh, came into the team. He got subbed in, uh, got a decent number of passes, um, and James Milner is still on the team. Jordan Henderson's still on the team. Minamino, uh, Liverpool got last season for uh, a very small fee. Uh, so I, I don't see a place for Thiago as good as he is on this Liverpool squad. Um, yeah. I mean, Lynx, I brought it up the other day when I was talking to you both, um, but. One of the main journalists for Sky Sports Italy and The Guardian has come out and said that uh, the new manager of Barcelona, who used to be the manager of the uh, Dutch national team and Everton, uh, he would really, really like to bring in Wijnaldum. Um, And I I think the only way I'd really see Thiago coming in, at least right now, is if Wijnaldum leaves. Um, It would probably be a pretty straight swap. You know, you have Thiago has one more year on his contract at Bayern Munich, and Wijnaldum, who has one more year contract at Liverpool, uh, it'd be a pretty straight swap. Uh, and even though Tia- uh, Wijnaldum was a huge component to the Liverpool midfield this past year and is a very good player, um, I think that would be the only way that you really see Thiago coming in. Yeah, and um, Barcelona are going to have a big reshuffle, of course, with Ronald Koeman coming in uh, as their manager. I think most of the links between uh, when Aldum going to Barcelona and um, it, it's just because Komen used to 
coached the uh, Netherlands national team. Gene uh, Van Aldum did get 10 goals for the national team under Komen, uh, which was, I think, second only to Memphis Depay. So I think the belief at oh, least— Oh, he just signed Mes- Memphis Depay today. Or they, or it was, it was terms were agreed and a bid was accepted for thirty million, I believe. For thirty million for Depay, yeah. Um, you, I mean, you can speculate as much as you want about um, Coleman trying to get the the Dutch Avengers back together to uh, to play in Barcelona. I mean, there have been, of course, many links between Barcelona and uh, Holland over the years. Johan Cruyff, perhaps, being the most significant. Uh, but I, I frankly just don't see this trade happening after the season starting, you know, Klopp likes to go into the season with an idea in mind and a system. And uh, if you look at Liverpool's tried and tested midfield, it's been over the past three seasons, Milner, uh, which has now transformed into Fabinho, uh, Jordan Henderson, and Gini Wijnaldum. And in those games where it really matters, like Barcelona uh, two seasons ago, 4-0, Gini Wijnaldum scored two of the goals. He's a very important player for Liverpool, and I don't see um, him going anywhere. Crystal Palace beat Southampton one to nothing with a goal from Wilfred Zaha, assisted by Andros Townsend in the thirteenth minute. Arsenal beat Fulham three to nothing. Uh, new season for Arteta. Uh, Alexander Lacazette scored in the eighth minute. The new signing Gabriel, I'm not going to say his last name right because I tried it. I think it's <laughs> Mangales scored in the forty ninth minute. And Pierre Emerick Aubameyang had a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful curler um, in the top right corner in the 57th minute, uh, minute and William had two assists. Uh, new signing William from Chelsea. Uh, they signed him on a three-year contract. I think he's getting a lot of, a lot, a lot of money. Uh, silly, silly money for a 31-year-old player, but William is a very good player. Uh, Arsenal look pretty good, guys, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think Arteta is building something very special there. I think that... There will be some ups and downs in this season simply because he doesn't have the full-strength squad that he's probably looking to have. Um, they're still looking to make acquisitions in the midfield, like uh, Hassem Oa from Lyon. But he's absolutely building something special there. There's uh, His his tactics have been pretty spot-on in almost every game that he's been in, and he's negated some of the best managers in the league's tactics, like Klopp and uh, Lampard. And he is he's found a way to get everything out of Aubameyang, which is exactly what they need to keep winning games. It is rumored that he has already agreed to sign a three a new three year contract uh, with with Arsenal, which would keep him there until he's thirty four years old. Um, Arsenal are not are, are keen to bring in older players. Uh, the joke has been over the past few years that unless you play for Chelsea and you're ready to step down, you go to Arsenal. Now in that case, uh, but William is a, is a is a really strong player. Aubameyang is is arguably the best striker in the Prem, uh, and especially right now with how many goals he's scoring and uh, and only coming behind Jamie Vardy last year in the in the Golden Boot race and tying the year before with Mohamed Salah and Sadio Mane. Uh, Chris, are you at all concerned about Arsenal um, challenging for the title this upcoming year? Uh, I don't see them challenging for the title. Uh, there's a good chance that they could. Um, challenge for top four. Um, not really set on it just because we've only seen uh, them play one match under um, it, well, in this new season. Not completely convinced by William yet. He did get uh, two, three assists in the game. So he did look good, but Fulham looked absolutely abysmal after those first 10, 15 minutes where um, they, they only had five shots 
in the entire game and one shot from inside the box. They weren't creative at all in the final third. Uh, Arsenal had 95% of the chances. Um, it Arsenal looked good, but Fulham looked terrible. So I don't think you could take this result and say Arsenal are going to be great because they had a good result against a team that just got promoted uh, via the championship playoff. Um, I, I see Arsenal challenging for top four, but ultimately finishing sixth this season. Yeah, just a little add on Fulham. I think, I know it is the first game of the season, but they will struggle because they don't have a difference maker in that final third. Um, people talk about bringing in Mitrovic off the bench and things like that. He's been in this league. He's proven he's not the difference maker in this league that he is in the championship, and they just lack that quality going forward. And, you know, you got to watch Scott Parker here over these next few weeks. He just got a gut punch in the first week um, of his managerial career in the Premier League, and sometimes these managers panic and they start to shy away from what they had been doing in the championship, and if he changes his ideas and everything, he might lose the team. Yeah, the one good thing that we saw from Fulham this season is not spending over a hundred million pounds on players coming in, uh, because that obviously did not work the last time that they tried that. Um, so I think as long as Fulham stick to what they were doing in the championship and adapt it to playing in the Premier League, like you mentioned, Mitrovic, he tied for the most goals in the championship uh, with I believe twenty six, which shows that he has quality. Now he has played in the Premier League before, so. We're not sure if that's going to be able to translate. Uh, I think they need to at least start him because they didn't have any real attacks going forward without him on the pitch. Um, but, yeah, not a strong start from Fulham. Hopefully Scott Parker can pull it together as he was the Tottenham U23 manager before he went to Fulham, uh, and he took over after uh, Claudio Ranieri was fired uh, two years ago in the Premier League, and then he brought him back up this past year. West Bromwich Albion played Leicester, newly promoted West Bromwich Albion, uh, played Leicester City. Uh, Leicester City won 3 to nothing. all second-half goals. Two of them were penalties. Timothy Castagne, new signing from Atalanta, a right-back scored in the 56th minute. Jamie Vardy added two penalties in the 74th and the 80, 84th minute. Uh, Leicester back to their winning ways again. Brandon Rodgers seems to... Uh, well, at least have shaken off the poor end of the season last year. They should have been in the Champions League. They are in Europa League. Uh, but Leicester are looking to, uh, looking to try to finish back in the top four again this year, if not uh, challenge for the title again. Yeah, Leicester uh, last season after the 4-0 defeat to Liverpool did not look like the same team uh, uh, that they had been in the first half of the season. At one point, they were challenging for the title. They were close. They were in third place. Um, but after that game, things just started going downhill, and they went downhill fast. Um Jamie Vardy, of course, winning the Golden Boot last season. Credit to him. He's going to be able to add more goals by taking penalties. Um, but unless he can get um, those creative goals going forward, um, I see Leicester struggling again, and especially with the loss of uh, Ben Chilwell. Uh, they're going to be struggling uh, from that left-pack position. Yeah, the sooner they can get the likes of Ricardo Pereira back and James Madison, I can see this team getting things back together a little bit, but... Uh, in terms of challenging for a European spot. I'm not quite sure they can do that with the fixture congestion. Being in the Europa League is very difficult doing Thursday and Sunday. Tottenham Hotspur played Everton in the first game of the season. Tottenham Hotspur under Jose Mourinho came up short, one nothing. Dominic Calvert-Lewin scored off of a beautiful free kick from Lucas Digne. Dominic 
Dominic Calvert-Lewin jumped right over top of Eric Dyer and put it up upper left-hand corner above the race. Tottenham Hotspur seemed to be struggling once again uh, at the beginning of a season similar to last year under a new manager, Jose Mourinho, just seemed to not be able to get anything going. Yeah, Tottenham were about as creative and entertaining to watch as the England national team were during the Nations League. Uh, it It seemed like there was no system going forward. Tottenham really struggled in uh, trying to create uh, chances in the midfield. Uh, there were a lot of passes between the back line, not very penetrative. The only thing going forward was um, trying to get it up the line to uh, Son in the first 20 or so minutes of the game where he only had two shots in the entire game, and those were in the second and 25th minutes. But I, I think the biggest problem was Harry Kane had two shots in the entire game, and they came in the 77th and the 80th minutes. And if you are waiting 70 minutes to get your striker in the game, the player that is supposed to be scoring you the goals, then there is something fundamentally wrong with uh, Tottenham's strategy of attack. I'm, I'm breaking out of my host mode now because I can do that with at least Tottenham. Uh, <laughs> very disappointing game to watch. Uh, and and to think that, you know, we, we looked so good at, towards the end of last season, one of the hottest teams in the Premier League, uh, right behind Manchester United. Uh, and and ever after that 2 nothing loss to Sheffield United in the, uh, I think it was 2 nothing in the, in the in the summer, we... We seem to have gotten things together, and under Jose Mourinho with the new All or Nothing documentary that just came out, which is a fascinating watch. I highly suggest you guys watch it. Uh, it's important that to see the chemistry in the team with the new signings of Daugherty and Hoiberg, and it just didn't look right. Uh, everything kind of seemed off. Harry Kane was super hot when it was towards the end of last season. You know, he he missed six months, and I know two of those months were COVID. Uh, COVID was involved, so they weren't really playing in general. But Harry Kane still finished with 19 goals last season, which I think is still impressive. People ask if he's fallen off. I don't believe so. I also, but I do believe that the system that we are playing hurts him uh, in his trek. I mean, you look at it, and I, I saw a statistic today. It, over the last games, Deli Alley has one goal. It's a penalty in the last 14 games. Lucas Mora has zero goals in 16 games and. Tw- uh, the last 16 games and 21 games, including the Premier League. Hunman Son has two goals in the last 12 games, and these are these are our, our main, and and Steven Bergvine, who is the new signing back in January, has zero goals in the last nine games. I think the last goal he scored was against Manchester City when we beat them two nothing when they had 10 men. Uh, Tottenham are struggling right now offensively, which is something that I think all of us could agree was uh, it's something that we're susceptible with, especially with Mourinho. Uh, I know Harrison said earlier that you know it's it's tough because Mourinho defensively can put a defense together, and we only let up one goal to an Everton side who just signed James Rodriguez, uh, Decore, and Allen from Napoli, and uh, a new midfield, and we let up one goal, which was a header by Dominic Calvert-Lewin on a set piece. Otherwise, we didn't let up, let up a goal from play, which last year was a problem. But when you focus so much on one thing, we forget to focus on the other thing, which is attacking. Uh, missing a backup striker and still not having one, sending Troy Parrott out on loan to Millwall. We're not injured yet, but if Harry Kane gets injured, we're going to be in a similar position to where we were last year. If, and if any of you guys watch the talk, the Tottenham documentary, you can see how much Tottenham struggled before the before COVID hit and how when you lose your striker, as in Harry Kane, and another attacking p- 
players such as Hunman Sun, you struggle. Um, I hope that Tottenham will get it together uh, before Thursday's Europa League game against Lokomotiv Pelotiv. Um And I, 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 they're a, I forget where they're from. Chris, I know you know. Bulgaria. Bulgaria. Yeah, yes. we're going to go to Bulgaria on Thursday before our game against Southampton on Sunday. But something needs to change, and I'm hoping that Mourinho, even though he said the players were lazy in their press, which is not wrong, to, crit- to publicly criticize your team is something that I'm not used to under Pochettino at least. Pochettino really never criticized the team for their lack of ambition. Uh, Mourinho is very open to that. Mourinho is trying to make a team of bottlers into a team of winners. Do you, do you think that will encourage them, these players? Depends on the player. I mean, you, when you have professionals in there like Hugo Lloris, who's a, who's a World Cup-winning goalkeeper and, 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 you know, is an outstanding goalkeeper, one of the best in the world. Uh, yeah, for players like that that are older, maybe. I think for Harry Kane, at least, I think that ideology is important to him. Uh, he wants someone to push him farther. But for younger players such as Deli Alley, subbing him off in the 45th minute, uh, we don't know. He said it was tactical. I mean, and we bring Musa Sissoko, who, you, who is a great player in himself, but not offensively, he can't score. Uh, you're going to take one of your offensive players out for a central midfielder is just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I think that we saw this under Mourinho at United that it is um it's really making up it making it up as you go when you get into the opposition half of the field because he is ingraining in your players' heads that they need to defend. And you can tell by um watching the documentary, he made them sit there and watch every goal that they had conceded and he said he played it in the dressing room and some of the players would just look away and not look at it. And his his style of management is is unique at this point because this uh Chris Wilder is the only other manager in this league that I can recall that has publicly criticized his players, and it was after an absolutely abysmal performance. And he strikes me as a manager who has an incredible understanding with this team, and they all buy into him, and they all love him. So Chris Wilder might be able to get away with that. Mourinho's not been in this job a year, and he is at it with these players. And... I just don't know if that's the way you need to go. You watch the best managers in this league. They all put an arm around their player. I mean, everybody loves to talk about Klopp hugging his players at the end of games. Like, you just need that. And I don't think Mourinho has that in him. And he is neglecting to put in any effort teaching them what to do when they go forward. And without Giovanni Lo Celso, there is a player, there is not a player on that field with a creative spark. With the loss of Christian Eriksen last year in, uh, in the January transfer window to Inter Milan, uh, we never we never replaced him as a player, especially this past summer. Uh, and we we saw that with last summer when we wanted to sign, we signed Giovanni Lo Celso on the second to last day of the transfer window. We wanted to get another player, whether it was Eriksen was going to sign a new long term contract and which would keep him at Tottenham. He did not. He was gone. Bruno Fernandes, before Manchester United signed him in January, Tottenham were very heavily linked with him and had a deal, it seemed to be, in personal terms, agreed, but he ended up going to Manchester United, and we can see the player that we missed out on there. And they tried for Paulo Dybala on the last day, but Paulo Dybala said he did not want to come. I want to stay at Juventus, which is understandable because Juve is one of the best teams in the world. Uh, and it's just it's interesting that we, we're in a dilemma now in, in the COVID financial market, in which, as as everyone has seen, the only teams out here that are spending money are, well, really, Leeds United, who have just come up to the Prem for the first time in years and seem to have an idea of what they want to do, and Chelsea, who have spent $300 million on players that 
you know, they wanted to try to contend for the title with, you know, superstar teams like Liverpool and Manchester City. Uh, Tottenham is going to be in a tough spot here in the upcoming weeks, and we'll be interested to see how they deal with that. Today, Sheffield United played Wolves. Uh, Wolves scored two against Sheffield. Raul Jimenez in the third minute and Roman Saez in the sixth minute. Jimenez is a superstar striker um, in the making, even though he doesn't have the goal contributions that you know we see from Salah and Mane and Aubameyang, but he is still a stud striker. Uh, Wolves are going to be interesting this year. We'll see what happens. Uh, Chris, where do you think they're going to finish? Uh, I, I see Wolves finishing um, a, a solid solid seventh. Uh, they they came out really strong in the first few minutes, of course, scoring two goals within six minutes of the game. Uh, Jimenez looked really good. Uh, Matinho looked really good. Uh, Bali and Cody are strong at the back. Um, but, but after those first two, they just failed uh, to create consistency in the final third. Traore, uh, more often than not, was lacking behind in the attack. Um, I, I think Wolves could have easily scored two more goals if he was uh, up supporting his teammates a bit more. Um, he's still a very solid player, uh, very fast, very big, of course. Um, but, yeah, they, they had a 1.61 uh, XG in this game. Uh, Sheffield, however... Um, as as weak as they started off, they ended up having a 0.95 XG. So um, I think they're going to put out better performances in the future. They had a very, very rough start. Um, not sure what that was about. Just uh, m- maybe it was because of the break. Maybe it was because of players trying to get back into the system. Um, but I-, I think their overlapping center backs are um, going to put out better performances in the future. Yeah, I think Wolves looked the livelier of the two teams like right off the bat. Obviously, they scored twice in the first 10 minutes. Um, Raul Jimenez picked up exactly where he left off, like you said, scoring goals, clinical finisher. Um, I just want to give out a shout-out to Connor Cody, who I watched play for England uh, this past week, and he's absolutely excellent. And he is the loudest player on the field, as he was for England. He is the loudest player on the field for Wolves. He is a commanding figure, an excellent passer. And he is an absolutely perfect person to be leading your back line. Absolutely, he is. Chelsea, Brighton Hall, Albion. Uh, Chelsea won 3-1. to one. Uh, Jorginho scored a 23rd-minute penalty after uh, the goalie took uh, Werner out as he was running into the box. Uh, then Trossard, uh, the winger for Brighton, scored a 54th-minute goal, which was absolutely a beautiful strike. Um, in the in the left corner, Kepa probably should have saved it, but did not. Uh, and that's something that Chelsea fans have had an issue with Kepa for a while about. Uh, then Reese James had arguably one of the goals of the summer, uh, scoring an absolute beautiful 25-30 yard uh, shot up in the upper 90. And Kurt Zuma scored a deflection goal in the 66 to bring Chelsea to win three to one. Chelsea. Yeah, you know, they de- they deserve to win the game, but I think Brighton were a little misfortunate. I uh, uh, Brighton were very uh, unfortunate in the game. Uh, they actually ended up having a higher XG than Chelsea in the game with one point four four compared to Chelsea's one point two seven, and had more shots during the game. Brighton had thirteen, Chelsea had ten. Uh, Brighton just couldn't put away their chances. Um, the the first goal, of course. 
um, was a mistake uh, in the backfield, just passing between players, giving the ball away to Timo Werner, who will charge in there and steal the ball. That's what he did very well at Leipzig, um, and we're already seeing glimpses of that here at Chelsea. Um, just unfortunate to give away the penalty. Uh, the James shot was just very clinical, very um, – I mean, you can't do anything about that. Um but, yeah, Brighton just couldn't put away their chances, had a good game. Unfortunate to see uh, Adam Alana come off uh, with injury. But um, I, I think this Brighton team has a good season ahead of them. Yeah, I really liked what I saw from Brighton. I liked what I saw from them last season. They obviously don't have the quality of some of the top teams in the Premier League, and it was nice to see that they had finished with the highest points total in the history of their club in this league last season. But I think they've got some outstanding talent and a really great manager who I can see managing at a higher level at some point because he just he's really got these players completely bought into what he's selling them. And when you've got the likes of Lamptey and Connolly who came in the game for uh, Lalana, which is really unfortunate to see their, their big signing go off that early in the game. But they've got a group of guys that absolutely buy in for their manager, and they do create a lot of chances. And I, I know Chelsea haven't been the strongest team at the back, but I, I really like what I'm going to see from Brighton for the rest of the season. I think they could uh, finish a little, a little bit higher than they did last year. And I, I just want to say that I think it's really harsh to be criticizing Kepa the way that the media has today after this game. I think that Rashford does that exact same technique the guy scored with against Kepa today where the ball is dipping right as it gets right in front of your goal. And I think that's just underestimated how difficult that is to stop. I've seen uh, Gazaniga struggle with it against Rashford and all sorts of keepers just have have trouble with that much movement and that much power coming at you um, that low. I mean, he did have another wonderful save today, too. I think it was uh, Malpe almost scored a, another beautiful mm-hmm. uh, beautiful goal, but Kepa did stop it. Uh, Man- uh, Chelsea have signed uh, a bunch of different superstar players, including Timo Werner from RB Leipzig, uh, Kai Havertz from Bayern Leverkusen, Ben Chilwell, who did not play today, uh, from Leicester, uh, Hakeem Ziyech from Ajax, who was on their team, has been on in IX for a few years now. Is uh, is 28 years old, uh, and they apparently just came to a, another deal with a goalkeeper. And then on a free, they got Thiago Silva from PSG, who is who is 37 years old, but is still regarded as one of the most respected and uh, best center backs to play in in the recent years. Um, even though PSG is some considered to be a farmers league, uh, PSG is a team that was just in the Champions League final with Thiago. Uh, uh, Silva playing with them. Yeah, I think Chelsea are going to have a better shot at getting things going when they can get a real understanding from their front four, which in an ideal world uh, is going to be Havertz playing just underneath the front three of Pulisic on the left, Werner in the middle, Ziyech on the right. And once those guys can really gel together and get an understanding of each other's movements and what they like to do, that you could see something really dangerous. Because playing Havertz on the right, which he has not played before. He played on the left or centrally for by for Leverkusen. Um, it's just not the way you want to start. But uh, I'd see due to some injuries, they had to do what they had to do. And uh, I hope nobody is judging too harshly off of his first performance in a position he's not used to. Yeah, Chelsea's performance uh, was was definitely interesting in this game, uh, based off of where uh, they set up Havertz, the the lack of Pulisic who scored twelve game who scored twelve goals for them. 
uh, last season. Uh, Werner, I think, is getting off to a good start. It's going to take a few games for him to uh, really get into uh, the rhythm of it. But I, I think when Zia comes in, um, as long as he's able to adapt from uh, the air division to this league, and we saw his performances in the Champions League, so he has um, that kind of talent. Um, the the thing that I'm concerned about for Chelsea is going to be their back line, of course. Um, they The defenders that they signed were, um, of course, uh, Silva, who they got on a free, who is also uh, 37 years old, and Saar, who they got as a center back from uh, Nice in France. But he's only 21 years old. Um, so Did you say Nice? Is it Nice? It's Nice. Nice. <laughs> I have Nice down here. Nice. From Nice. Uh, apologies to France. Um, I Yeah, I, I don't see them um, being able to defend. I don't see them having a good game against Liverpool next week, but we'll talk about that. Um, uh, yeah, it, it seems like their idea is that they're going to try and score as many goals as possible and not worry about their back line and hope that they can score more goals with, than the opponent, which is a good strategy to have. You always want to score more goals than the other team. But if you don't have the players on your back line to you know, help mitigate the amount of goals that are scored against you, I, I think they're going to have problems with that this season and problems with high-scoring games. If Brighton were just a bit more clinical, it, this very easily could have been a Brighton win. Yeah, I know we're really focused on Chelsea incomings, but I'm going to have to do one more shout-out, and that's to an outcoming from Chelsea, Tariq Lamptey. What a player. Today was excellent. I'm aware it's his old team, and he must have had a little bit extra for that very reason, but he was direct, he was fast, he was creative, and he was really giving them trouble down that right side, and they had to get Mount to drop deeper to start doubling up just to make sure he didn't break through, and he, he, he actually broke through one of the doubles and almost... Created a perfect chance for a goal-scoring opportunity. It's amazing the the quality of players that Chelsea lets go, uh, and 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 I think one of my biggest criticisms for Chelsea was and not not the criticism of them signing these high-quality players, but they they put so much emphasis this past year with the transfer ban on their youth and bringing up uh, Mason Mount and you know Tammy Abraham and all the and Reese James who who did play today and had a beautiful beautiful goal. Uh, but now that they signed all these players, like Mason Mount and, and Tammy Abraham are going to be subs, uh, most likely. I think Mason Mount will get some more starts than Tammy. But yeah, that's my biggest criticism of them uh, after you know spending $300 million on positions that, yes, I understand they signed a, a two center backs, but they with the money they spent on these other players, which I think is outstanding, they, they signed some superstars uh, in the making. I, I think that the one position they needed was a good center back. And I'm curious to see how that affects them towards the end of the season. Uh, four teams did not play this weekend. Aston Villa, Burnley, Manchester City, and Manchester United. Uh, they all had the weekend off because Manchester City and Manchester United were playing in the Champions League, and they were playing in the FA Cup. Am I right with that? I think I'm right with that. Uh, was Man U in Champions United League? was in the Europa League semifinal. That's right, Europa League semifinal. That's my fault. Uh, but they got the weekend off. They will be back next weekend, though. So now it comes to, since we're this is the first week of the season, uh, in the first podcast of the season, we're going to do our predictions for the top four and the champion. Uh, and I'm guessing, I already know who Chris is going to be, but Chris, you're going to go first. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, Liverpool at number one, of course. I'm biased, yes. 
But uh, the team uh, has not changed except for Dejan Lovren leaving and Kostas Simikas coming in uh, as a backup left back so that um, old man James Milner doesn't have to cover Rabo's position um, whenever he's out anymore. Um, we've seen consistency over Liverpool these past two seasons, um, getting uh, 97 and 99 points um, over those games. Um, a lot of consistent performances. Um, I think that combined with uh, the the player turnover um, is going to lead to another high scoring season, and I, I don't see that mentality um, stopping anytime soon. Especially with the new uh, players coming into the team, Harvey Elliott, we're probably going to see more of this season. Curtis Jones, we've already seen more of. Uh, so I think things are still on the up and up for Liverpool. Um, second place, I'm going to say City again. Uh, they're definitely going to bounce back from last season. Um, to what degree, I don't know yet um, because we haven't seen them play, um, especially in these new kits that they're playing in. Not quite as bad as United's, but, you know, getting there. Um, but that doesn't impact how they play. Uh, the big impact is going to be um, David Silva leaving and that voice in the locker room. Uh, he was so important to that team that they're going to build a statue of him outside uh, the empty head. So, that's going to be an impact. It's also speculated that it's going to be Pep's last season. Um, I believe it's the last season on his contract for the moment. So uh, you have to wonder if he's going to uh, put all his chips in the Champions League or if he's going to do the same thing that he's done every year and try and win every competition, um, considering that it might be his last season and he hasn't won the Champions League yet. you got to uh, think to yourself, how, how much is he actually going to be focused on the Premier League compared to the Champions League? Um but I still think that they're going to put out a good season, just not to the degree that they've been able to do it in the past. Um, third and fourth place is where it gets really tricky. Um, third, I probably see United just because Bruno Fernandez has been uh, a major improvement. Uh, they saw a lot of stability at the end of last season, uh, especially. Um, Harry Maguire, uh, is going to be an interesting case for the first bit of the season just with all the controversy about him. But if he can manage to keep a level head, um, I think he's going to provide that back line with a lot of stability. Uh, Martial and Rashford also had really good seasons last year. Uh, so I see them uh, putting out more consistent um, performances this year, but not to the degree of City and Liverpool just yet. Um, and and then fourth place is really going to be a toss-up between, I believe, uh Arsenal and Chelsea, just based off of Arsenal's first performance against Fulham, they look really good already, but I think it all depends on whether or not Chelsea are going to be able to uh, really gel as a team and um, whether their signings are going to be able to find a place and be able to perform to the level that we know that they can play at uh, and the level that Frank Lampard knows that they can play at. But for the moment, I th I believe that I, have, I would have more faith and Mikel Arteta as a manager over Frank Lampard. So because of that, I'm going to say Arsenal in fourth. Yeah, so for me, I'm going to say Manchester City is going to win the league this year. I think Pep is going to bounce back from a rather disappointing season, especially the way they went out in the Champions League. And I think they'll be full force to win every single competition they're a part of. Uh, I do like the refresher so far, especially that Ferran Torres move. Excellent deal for value. Um 
And I just, I really, I see Liverpool not necessarily taking a step down, but uh, a gear may switch off. Uh, they haven't really refreshed, and we all know the worst thing you can do with a winning team is to not add anything to it, and they all become complacent. But they are good enough to where they can probably still finish second, which is why I have them in second. And I have United in third. And you're right, the fourth spot is going to be the biggest spot to to watch because Arsenal are up and coming, and they are working hard and doing really big things, and they've got an excellent manager. And Chelsea have seemingly a pretty good manager, but neither team has a dominant center-back pairing. And uh, I'm not sure about y'all, but I think Lindelof and Maguire and Van Dijk and Gomez and Ake and Laporte much better pairings than what either of those teams have to work with, considering you're going to be putting out either David Luiz. Champions League winner David Luiz. Ah, of course, of course. <laughs> so, yeah, they're, they're going to struggle with defense. I'm going to have to put Arsenal, though, at fourth, simply because I just think Kepa's save percentage being just over 50% is going to hurt so much that they're going to be playing again to outscore every team they play, and that is extremely dangerous. I, uh, I'm i going to be a little different, a little the same as you guys. I have Manchester City finishing first this year uh, due to the consistency of Manchester City and really nothing else. Uh, Manchester City, again, with Torres getting a, a really great bargain. Uh, Nathan Ake, who I've always rated very highly as a center back. I know he's a little short. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but he's always been outstanding um, ever since he's been on Bournemouth. And was one of the key anchors to their team last year. So I, I think City, even with losing David Silva, uh, with Pep's last year, Aguero's last year as well, um, I would think, uh, and the attack that they have, even though they lost Leroy Sané, I still think they're going to be a, uh, a threat. I don't think the points total this upcoming year will be as high as it was in the past. Uh, I think there's a lot more competition in the year this uh, league this year due to, you know, having teams in the league like Wolves and Leeds and Leicester and. You know, these teams pushing higher and higher, and Everton even, you know, Everton uh, looked a lot better too. I think there's going to be some more losses in these teams this year. Uh, You know, there won't be a—I don't think there's going to be a 30-point winner like there was last year. And and in all honesty, I hope there's not because other than the top four race, you want to see a good title race. And I'd rather see a title race between three or four teams rather than just one and two teams just going at it for the whole season. Uh, second place, I'm. I think I'm going to be a little weird with this one. Uh, I'm going to put uh, Arsenal in second. Uh, yeah, I know Harrison's eyes just blew up. I'm going to put Arsenal in second. Uh, I believe that you know I. I'm going to hop on the Arteta hype train here. Uh, without us, they don't have a center. They didn't. I don't know what I was saying there. Don't. They don't have a center back pairing. But Saliba, uh, the young kid that they they bought from France, who was on loan this past year. Uh, he's back in the squad, and plus the plus their new signing Gabrielle, uh, who looked fairly decent in the last game, even next to Rob Holding. Uh, I think they're going to be really good, and I think their attack is really outstanding. It, now I, I'm going to put a little asterisk next to that second place. The asterisk I'm going to put next to the second place is they need to sign a center center midfielder, uh, whether that's Arwar or Party. I don't know, and I don't know if it's going to happen because I don't know how much uh, money they have. But I'm going to put Arsenal in second place. Third place, I'm going to put Liverpool. Uh, I'm going to have Liverpool in third. I think Liverpool are going to fall, as Harrison said, fall off the gas a little bit. Uh, and we'll see what happens with them. I'm curious to see. Uh, fourth place, uh, Manchester United, obviously. Um, and I, I actually, and, and in all honesty, I, I could switch Manchester United and Arsenal just as easy. Uh, for some reason in my gut, I have Liverpool finishing third this year. 
Uh, but Manchester United or Arsenal are going to be the those other top four spots. I don't know how it's going to. I really don't know how it's going to figure out. But that's my prediction. Um, and we'll see what happens from there, though. Uh, and so now we're going to move on to relegation. And this is always interesting because last year I was very much wrong with my relegation picks. So uh, Chris, you're up. Who you got for relegation? Tottenham. Just kidding. Um, for relegation, um, just based off of their first performances. Um, Fulham and West Brom do not look like they are going to stay in the Premier League. Uh, Norwich last year had us fooled for the first month uh, with August Player of the Month, Timu Puki, putting out some good performances, scoring uh, five or six goals. Um, but uh, Norwich just dropping off a little bit after that game. No, I think um, Fulham and West Brom are not hiding anything in these first couple of performances. If they're not able to adapt quickly, they are quickly going to get uh, 12 points behind every other team. Um, but with them, uh, oh, that's going to be tough. That's going to be tough because I, I think there are a few teams that are going to be struggling uh, in that sense. I see Aston Villa struggling again this season. Uh, they were very close to relegation. They managed to keep uh, Jack Grealish, so um, they they do have support there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do think that Aston Villa are going to go down. Um, I, I don't, I just don't think that they have the consistency to stay up. Yeah. So for me, I'm with you. Uh, it is, it is so easy to say that these teams that come up are going to go right back down. But with those two, um, I paid attention, uh, pretty closely to the end of the championship season last year and it, the only way to describe what West Brom did was limp over the finish line to make it to the league. And it was rather pathetic because there were opportunities for Middlesbrough to come up and grab that spot, and nobody seemed to want to get to it, so they just kind of fell into it. And Fulham, they just lack the quality, like I said. They really do. They mimic their manager. They have a good spirit about them. I really like that about them, but they just don't have the quality. And I, unless they sign a real difference maker in the next few weeks, yeah, I, I do see them both going back down. But uh, the third spot for me is, is different. Um, I think Aston Villa will probably be a, a good bit better off with Emiliano Martinez in goal. But I think West Ham, and a, a weird shout would be Sheffield United, just to, just to watch them closely. Um, I thought today was just dreadful. But I think West Ham United are in for an absolute roller coaster of a season again. It started so poorly with Mark Noble calling out the club to, uh, a week before the first game. And, yeah, I, I have them going down. I don't think they're going to be able to pull it together. I think that club is a little bit all over the place. And what I saw against Newcastle was, was nothing to be positive about. Uh, West Ham is the 20th place team this year, and I will be rooting for them to be 20th because West Ham fans and Tottenham fans do not get along. But no, I think West Ham's going to struggle, just similar to what you said with Mark Noble going out the team for the um, selling of their that one prospect they have who was apparently really outstanding. Uh, I do think West Bromwich Albion is going to go down. Uh, I just do. I know they limped across the end, um, the finish line last year at the end of the season, and I just don't think they have what it takes to stay in the prem this year. Uh, Fulham did come back up, though, um, which I think shows a lot. And I think they're going to pull it out uh, because, weirdly enough, uh, I think that... Aston Villa are actually going to go down too. Um, you know, they stayed up last year barely by one goal. They stayed up last year, you know, and, and it's it's hard to believe, but 
you know, keeping Jack Grealish is great, but you know, they, they spent a hundred million on all these different players and they still stank. I, they did. So I'm, I'm thinking they're going to go down too. Those, those three teams are going to struggle and it's going to be a really tough, tough year for them. But I mean, I, I could see, I could see Southampton struggling. I could see Brighton struggling. I could see Sheffield struggling. I could see Tottenham struggling. Uh, Yes, I mentioned them in relegation. I want to make that very clear. Uh, so we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, but but I'm I'm curious, and we'll see what happens with the rest of the teams too. So this year we're doing predictions a little different. Uh, we're playing a little game with each other. So how this game works is we each are going to pick two teams per week that are going to win their matches. Two teams that are going to win their matches. It can be the same team we pick. Like, we can all pick, you know, Manchester United to win this upcoming week. Uh, but we're each going to pick two teams. But once we pick that team, we can never pick that team again until we've gone through all the teams. So if I pick Arsenal and Leicester, I can't pick them again until I've gone through all 20 teams. So, uh, Chris, you're going to start. You're going to pick your two teams, and we're just going to keep points till, till the end of the year. So, Chris? Okay, so I, I made these decisions based off um, which teams I thought – had good performances against good teams and which teams I knew were going to lose this week 100%. Uh, so the two teams that I'm picking this week uh, is going to be Leeds, who's playing Fulham. Uh, Leeds, of course, had uh, a good show against Liverpool and Fulham uh, did not have a good show against Arsenal. So I- I'm picking Leeds uh, to go over and win that one. And uh, Everton are going to be defeating West Brom. Um these are the two teams that I said that we're going to get relegated, um, and I think these are the safe bets. You looked at the first two teams on the sc- in the on the score sheet, and you just took them both, didn't you? <laughs> well, it, <laughs> it did work out like that. Harrison? So this week, I think Manchester United will be Crystal Palace, and I'm going to say that Aston Villa is going to beat Sheffield United next Monday. Now, that's an interesting pick. Now, now the one thing about this is you have to be fairly tactical. And I think you were being getting Aston Villa out of the way pretty quickly. And I'm also going to be a little tactical. Uh, my first pick is going to be I'm going to pick take Southampton over Tottenham. Uh, I think that Southampton definitely can beat Tottenham with Tottenham being strong. And, and don't get me wrong, guys, I will be rooting for Tottenham this weekend. But uh, with how this game works, you know, you got to be tactical. You got to get some teams out of the way now uh, in case. So I'm going to pick Southampton over Tottenham. And then my other pick, I think I'm going to do is I'm going to take. Oh, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take Leeds over Fulham as well. Uh, You know, I just think, as everyone has said, Fulham's going to struggle, and Leeds just looked so good in their first game. And I know uh, I'm going to get this right this time. B. Elsa. There you go. I got it. Uh, B. Elsa has really put a team together there that's really strong. So I think they're going to win too. Uh so that's going to do it for this week's episode of Stoppage Time. Uh, I'd like to thank Harrison and Chris for joining me in the studio today. It was great, guys. It was a pleasure having you on. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Stoppage Time. You can follow us on Instagram at stoppagetime91.1 for news, updates, and more. Be sure to tune in next week for another great episode on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts.